Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. Over the years, TVO has become synonymous with covering all the political stories at Queen's Park. But that wasn't always the case. It wasn't until a show called Fourth Reading, hosted by yours truly, came along. Hi everybody, I'm Steve Pakin and welcome to Fourth Reading. As someone who's got a lifelong fascination with politics, I loved hosting this show. It gave me the chance to sit down with politicians and political watchers every week. We'd get into the details behind the decisions that affect the lives of everyday Ontarians. It's something I still get to do today on the agenda, and I never take it for granted. Janice Neal was the producer of Fourth Reading, which ran for 14 years. On this episode of TVO at 50, she joins me to talk about how the program got started and why covering Queen's Park is still so important. Janice, I love those red glasses. That's a real uh, fashion statement there. Thanks. Well, you know, fashion, it's very interesting. You know, fashion, everything kind of from, you know, waist up is going to become really crucial. Um, you know, people's hair. What are we, one, of our, one of our former students um, uh, did, a, did a panel with us last week, and she has beautiful black hair, and she has, and it's really long, and she's dyed it purple. And... She just totally dominates the screen. She was on a panel, and I don't think anybody could look at anyone else because <laughs> it's so vibrant. I'm thinking she's really clever. I mean, she's a print reporter in her day job, but <laughs> but thinking it's yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, a focus on 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 you know certain aspects. From yeah, for sure. Well, with, if yeah. if we're all going to be wearing masks, uh, our, half our faces are going to be covered, so it's going to be glasses and hair that. Uh, yeah. Tell the tale, I guess. We are talking to Janice Neal, chair of the Ryerson School of Journalism, but who once upon a time in 1992 was the first producer of TVO's first ever program focusing on provincial affairs at Queen's Park, and the show was called Fourth Reading. And Janice, let's start with how you got to become the producer of this new show at the time called Fourth Reading. How did that happen? Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, at the time, or a few months earlier, uh, I was working as a as a producer. I'd been a reporter for CBC for a number of years. Uh, worked with you at one point in the uh, in the Toronto newsroom, and uh, I was um, I was I was I had been home on maternity leave and had been watching a lot more lot more programming. And TVO was uh, was doing a show at the time on on media that really interested me as a viewer and obviously as a journalist. Um, was that show called and, Medium uh, Close Up? Is that what that show was? Medium Medium Close Up, which my which a former boss of ours, uh, Howard Bernstein, was uh, was the uh, producer of executive producer, I think. And uh, so I so I contacted uh, contacted Howard and said, you know, show really interests me. Would uh, love to know if there are any you know any openings. And he said, you know, not not sure about the future. Of this you know, not sure, but stay in touch. So, um, so I think it was probably mid July uh, of 1992 that he that he called me and said, I think we, you know, we are going to launch a new program. Uh, your old, you know, your old buddy Steve Pagan is is coming, and we know what Steve is passionate about, and that is 
Queen's Park provincial politics. So we want to take advantage of that. He's going to host one show, but then we also want to start a show about provincial politics and a current affairs show. Uh, and um, and would you you know be interested in in producing it? So I mean, the fact that I was called, I think, as I said, kind of mid July, maybe early July is pretty late in 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 the world of you know getting getting new well getting new products off the ground um and and in this case a new a new show so so very quickly i um i uh, i left cbc and uh and came uh, and came over to tvo and kind of love you know looked around i think sat and chatted with you sat and chatted with howard uh there was a researcher who was working i guess he was working on media matters um or between the lines the other show that you were going to do mm-hmm. and uh and uh howard said he can work on the show and we kind of dove in like it really you know i had i been a journalist you know a same day you know breaking news journalist so doing things you know quickly was uh was i i like that i mean that was my style but starting a brand new show actually wasn't the same as heading out at nine o'clock in the morning to do a news story for you know for the new news or six o'clock it was uh it was a lot more it it required a lot more more uh, production from that the first thing is of course it had no name and i think the bosses you know vetoed steve pakin Steve Bacon show. So Who we would have, had to come up no, with something better. No one would wanted to have called it that, I assure you. No, but the name Fourth Reading is a really interesting name and and I think if memory serves, I think you came up with that. I did. I remember um you know, uh I believe it was Labor Day weekend and I was invited to my my family and I we were invited to uh, to a cottage and um, a friend's cottage and I I clearly remember kind of sitting on the dock and saying our show is going to launch in uh, two or three weeks I think and we don't have a name and sitting there kind of brainstorming and okay so there's nothing that relates to sitting on a dock in Ontario uh, you know beside an Ontario lake that relates to it but but just throwing out names you know brainstorming with the you know with uh, with a bunch of people. And um, and kind of working through what 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 made sense. Oh yeah, we also vetoed the Pink Palace. I'm pretty sure that was. You know, I do remember that option. To, I didn't. Go, yeah. You know, I didn't mind that option because, of course, that's the nickname no. for the for the beautiful pink sandstone building that Queens Park is. It is. I thought that it would, there'd be great alliteration, Pagan's Pink Palace. But then, you know, actually, no. it wasn't yours. You know, it belongs to the public. Exactly. Pagan and the public's Pink Palace. Any, uh, getting complicated. The, um, <laughs> getting complicated. <laughs> so, so I remember just working through what what you know what kind of business and and you know what is what are the processes there and and uh, and uh, um, you know unpacking you know a a new piece of legislation bill goes through first reading second reading you know we've got the committees to third reading and um and then coming on fourth you know fourth reading now part of that i think may have been partly inspired by cbc's long-running investigative show the um um fifth estate maybe the fifth estate so i thought okay you know numbers can work and um and uh, so we came up with the fourth reading, which I have to say, to this day, I, 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 part of me is very, very proud of it. It's a very clever name. The other part of me is embarrassed that it is so clever because it, 
it really is kind of inside, well, you know, inside the not beltway. So, not so bad, because I know that I, I've explained to people in the past who said, fourth reading, fourth reading, what does that mean? And I said, I just said what you said, you know, first, second, third reading for Bills. I said, if it was a football show, we'd have called it the fifth quarter. If it was a golf show, we'd call it the 19th hole. Fourth reading makes perfect sense to me. Oh, yeah, okay, we get that. That's fine. Now, we got to talk about who the, I mean, the, the basic format of the show was we had regular recurring panelists representing each of the parties in the legislature, liberal, conservative, new Democrat. And then we'd have a special guest each week and we would have a big gab fest about whatever the big issues of the week were. Those first three panelists for the first season, you remember them? Right. Absolutely. Uh, so Ian Scott, who had been attorney general, um, a liberal politician, and uh, Sally Marnes, who had been a uh, started uh, had a had a, a respectable career as a journalist uh, in Queens Park, and then ended up going to work for the Conservatives uh, for Bill Davis, and um, and then you know we had a real challenge with the you know with the third with with coming up with the third so we had our liberal we had our conservative and we had to come up with uh with someone who would who would uh be willing to come out every single week and and talk from a perspective and and kind of with some inside knowledge and analysis about the ndp who were and in power at the challenge, time who were in power at the time um so we we i think we we discovered um i i i was connected to a woman named joanne st louis who at the time was working for uh something called the legal education action fund and had spent some time in politics you know her her background was not deeply rooted in in the in the party um or serving in you know or serving in government of course um the way that the other two were but um you know i want you know the the uh, coming up with the panel was, I think, in some ways, the most important part of the job because uh, I know that one of the one of the goals, one of the things that we wanted to to uh, that we really admired was the long running panel that was on Morningside, uh, Kieran's Camp and Lewis. Mm-hmm. or Lewis Camp. I forgot. No, so you got it right. Camp, KCL and they Dar- were the gold standard. Right, KCL, Dalton Camp, Eric Kieran's, and Stephen Lewis. Conservative, liberal. I'm going to get this out of order. Yeah, conservative, liberal, and NDP, and uh, they they had they had at that point. I think they'd been on the air Tuesday mornings and ten after, starting at ten after nine, uh, for years and years. And and there was, um, I think, there was a bit of an urban you know urban myth that that in certain you know in the parking lots of certain businesses and organizations you could uh, you could sit there on a Tuesday morning and see people sitting there idling not very environmental until about 9:30 or 9:40 whenever the panel ended that they they really captured they were they really captured uh, their audience and they were they brought an incredible depth and breadth of uh, of experience and had a really really good chemistry so that's what we were looking for but uh, but in uh, you know in in provincial politics and the challenge was with with finding someone from 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 the NDP was that they were in power and to you know to no one's greater surprise than their own and uh, and I think a lot of people that I kind of you know was led to and talked to in advance were 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 quite cautious I mean first of all they hadn't really served in government before they didn't have that experience and to go on the air every single week and to be and analytical, which of course would end up being, you know, somewhat critical of, um, you know, of the of the party that was in its infancy at Queen's Park, first time in, in power, 
I think a lot of people found that really daunting, and uh, and it was uh, they they just felt that they couldn't bring bring that to us. So I was I was delighted that uh, I was really delighted that Joanne uh, that Joanne joined us and uh, and brought it you know and brought of course a, a real a real depth of experience in 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 many areas. Right now we're talking 1992 here, so this is a long time ago, and I think Joanne, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, she may have been the first black female you know regular recurring panelist maybe in ontario television history uh i I believe so if not the first certainly one of the first that's for sure and i do recall i mean the real big get there was ian scott of course who was a superstar politician former attorney general and but of course who got reelected in 1990 miserably so very unhappy to be going to the opposition benches and i remember discussing with you i think at the time uh you know I'm hearing all sorts of rumors that he's going to quit being a politician. And if he does, you know, we got to get to him and, and see if we can get him to do this show. And then he didn't quit and he didn't quit. and He didn't quit. And we, <laughs> we kept on wondering, how do we get this guy to quit so we can have him? Right. Yeah. No, you're right. That was that 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 was a great that was a great get, as we say in journalism. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great, and it was a great dynamic. Look, you know, look at that diversity. You know, I talked about you know, uh, Camp Kieran's and in, in in Lewis, and you know, three three white men uh, with long establishment, and we were you know we were bringing a diversity, which I I I know enriched you know our our conversations. They, uh, I know, I know we. I know we talked about and approached things, you know, differently because of the experiences of the people that we that we had on that panel. Which now, was the point. Uh, Janice, I don't know if you were with Howard Bernstein, the executive producer of the show, and me when we went to Queen's Park to have a meeting with Bob Ray's then director of communications, a guy by the name of John Piper. Were you in on that meeting? I'm trying to remember. I don't think I don't think so. Okay, no, because so. we we basically made a courtesy call to John Piper to say we're starting this new show. We would love it if, you know, you could see fit to make your cabinet ministers, for example, available to our program. And I think the first guest we ever had was the energy minister, Brian Charlton, who came on. And we explained what the show was about. And we told John Piper who the members of the panel were. And he sort of sat back and he put his feet up on the desk. And he looked at the list and he said, Sally Barnes. Okay, no problem there. Joanne St. Louis. Well, wouldn't have been my first choice, but we can certainly live with her. And then he said, Ian Scott. Gentlemen, let me tell you, the premier hates Ian Scott's effing guts. This is going to be a problem. (laughs) 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 And I think the problem was that, that after Ian had moved from the government side to the opposition benches, he was absolutely vicious in his criticism of Bob Ray, whom, whom he used to have a very good friendship with, and the government, and it just, that was trouble. That was trouble. Did you pick yeah. up any of that yeah. with Ian? I, well, I certainly, okay, what, what I clearly remember, you know, the producer of the show was, it was impossible for us to, to well, almost impossible for us to book the premiere. And every single week we were, you know, trying to get the most, the, you know, the, the minister or the guest that, uh, that was, you know, newsworthy. And um, as our season went on and as their term went on, things got, you know, uglier and, you know, and more troublesome in the economy um, and the government and the people 
people leaving, people leaving uh, his office and, and, uh, and really, they were just really, really struggling. And, and I clearly remember, you know, phoning them every single week and putting in a request for the, for the premier. And um, can I tell the story about when we finally got him? And sure, went fire him? away. Because I think that is, because uh, I think it's, it's an important story. So, um, so um, so it was either in now I can't. It was either late in the fall of '92 or in the spring of uh, of '93, and um, and as I said, things were kind of unraveling. And uh, and Bob Ray went to went to Asia on a trade mission. So he's out there um, promoting promoting Ontario, investing in you know to get people to invest in Ontario. And he's gone for a week or two. And while he's gone, you know, someone resigns and somebody else leaves and and um, and it's uh, and it's and it's terrible. So he comes back, and they phoned us and said he's just come back, triumphant from this, you know, Asian trade mission. And uh, would you like to would you like to have him on the show? So we, you know, uh, you know, I said of course, of course. And they said on one condition that the focus of the interview is the is the trade mission and that you don't talk about the, you know, don't talk about the goings and, you know, these, you know, minor scandals that are, that are going on. And I remember saying, you know, I'll get back to you and sitting there talking to you and say, you know, journalistically, we're not going to have the premier's office uh, telling us what the focus of the interview, he's the premier. We haven't had him on the show. We are the show about Queens Park and he hadn't been on. And yet, you know, I, so I'm really not comfortable with these conditions. And, uh, and, uh, and you, you know, you said, you know what, I think there's a way we should go for it. And we're going to find a way to, you know, to, to get around it. Um, of course, I guess, knowing that what, what you remembered about, you know, John Piper saying they, they really didn't, they really hated coming and the premier hated Ian Scott. So, so we accepted the interview and we worked really hard I think at, at plotting and at plotting the questions and strategizing and um, and so he sat down for the interview you know started off tell us how that tell us how that trade mission was well you know Bob Reed loved talking about the successes and the places that he went and I can't remember if any deals were inked but no doubt they had been negotiated months in advance and they're announced you know while he's there you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you probably kind of leaned forward a little bit and said, you know, tell me, Premier, you're out there promoting Ontario to the world, looking for investors. How can people have confidence in this province when your government is kind of in shambles here at home? How difficult is it for you to sort of give the public the sense that your hands are on the wheel, that you're, you're steering the ship, that you're managing the economy, when all they see and hear about are the sort of the daily obstacles that you just referred to. It doesn't to. make it any easier, but I think, I, I guess I, my, my common sense view is that the public is a little bit more kind of preoccupied with the economy and with what's going on and, and a little bit less cynical than uh, perhaps some of some other observers might be. And I was standing in the control room with a one or two, with this press person and probably someone else. And they went, they went berserk. They screamed, you promised, you promised that you weren't going to ask any questions about that. And I, you know, held my breath. I was, I can just remember how I felt because, um, because clearly they felt that I had broken a promise. And 
Bob Ray looked at you and said, Steve, that's a great question. And he proceeded to answer it. I, you know, he, he, with, he had a great response. I am sure he prepared for it. Obviously, it was part of his conversation every single day. And he had absolutely no problem with the interview. You know, it ended, shook hands and, uh, and then walked out. And the, and the, but the people in the control room, you know, were furious with me and, uh, and said, you're never going to get, you know, you're never going to get him again. And you, you know, you broke, you broke a promise. And, uh, and, and did, we, did, but, did we ever get know, him but, again? But, but, you know, but the fact was the pre, he, he wasn't going to shy away from it. I am sure they didn't, I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think he would have been comfortable I'm making a leap here, and I'm making an assumption because he's a wise person. He would not necessarily have been comfortable telling, you know, a, a, a political, the interview on the major political show in the province not to ask, mm-hmm. you know, what was on really on everyone's, on everyone's mind. Uh, did we get him again? I don't remember. But I, you know what, Steve, I think I talk about that story all the time and my, with my with my journalism students when I talk about interviewing. And I, it's not a story about a broken promise. It is a story about being, you know, about cleverly wording your questions and asking precisely, you know, asking exactly what is on what is on people's minds. Hmm. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it, uh, I don't think it broke, I don't think it broke the promise. And, and it was important. It was our, you know, it was your job. It was our job to, to have him, uh, to have him talk about, um, to talk about how the government was running. And, and, you know, and, and he, he often was very, he often was very frank about the struggles. Yeah. Well, it didn't phase him at all. I know it didn't phase him at all because I've I've obviously interviewed him you know dozens of times since then and I and I do remember one subsequent interview uh, in the green room ahead of time uh, saying uh, jokingly so what do you think the first question tonight should be and he looked at me and said how about something like premier tell me exactly what is the nature of your genius and uh, <laughs> we both laughed and then we went out in the set and uh, you know went at it hammer and tong or whatever we do. I wonder, Janice, if you remember another time, I think this was 1990, probably four, because I think it was at the time that the Common Sense Revolution had just been unveiled by Mike Harris, the then fairly unknown leader of the third party in the Ontario legislature. And he came on the show and I remember asking him, you know, the red Tories in your party, are they going to like this? And he gave an answer like, uh, you know, they shouldn't have any difficulty with it. It's a very good progressive conservative agenda. And Sally Barnes, who was our Tory panelist, uh, looked at him and, and kind of went at him and said, well, I don't think you've consulted the red Tory wing of the party very much and you haven't consulted me at all. And and oh, boy, then the camera cut back to a close up of Mike Harris. And he was looking, you know, pasting that smile on and trying not to feel mortified by how he was being attacked by his own partisan there but i mean we had some of those nice moments on the show over the years yeah I think. yeah yeah but mr harry seriously I mean, it is a a matter of concern everywhere i go these days my friends who do tend to be red tories as we're red tories and, and left of the spectrum are concerned that the perception is that you're moving too far to the right now i can't comment on that because i haven't seen you do anything that would suggest that to me, but it, the perception is there. Is it because of the appointment of Long? I mean, you know, I think um, you know for you know a bit of the inside story too. You know, for for you know the loyal loyal audience is that um, is that we were really 
um, in, in, in the evolution of TVO, that show was really uh, a, a break, I would say, with the way that, um, that current affairs programming had been done in the past because uh, because you and I had come you know from from live news and we were we were used to being nimble and flexible and responding you know being an up being up to date um, but but the but the shows that TVO had been producing up to you know up to that point were were um, you know beautiful beautifully crafted and um, and they they were produced with a with with an eye to being um, sold around the world and to be go into reruns and they although they were you know they were they were often uh, obviously they were topical they weren't necessarily timely. We um, we recorded our show on Thursday night, probably uh, six or seven o'clock, I think, mm-hmm. and um, and went to air about twenty four hours later, twenty four twenty five hours later, which uh, which was nerve wracking sometimes, especially especially you know in the early days of both the show and you know and the Ray and the Ray government, and um, I'm you know I I clearly remember more than once we actually had to go live um, on on Friday evening. That's right. We had to do the show again because events had happened to make the show yeah. uh, out of date. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yes, and you know, and it was it was interesting to to it was interesting. It was an interesting mix of cultures of you know you and you and I and well and, and Howard Bernstein and all also come from news coming to TVO and 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 appreciating all of the values that went into the major productions, but also finding ways that we could be nimble. Hmm. I, I, I we got time for one more story here, and I don't know that you were still the producer of the show when this happened, but I will surely never forget this. We had John Snowblin on the program, who was Mike Harris's education minister. And in the middle of our program, in the middle of our taping, I got told in my earpiece that a cabinet shuffle had just been announced and that John Snowblin was no longer the minister of education. And I put that to him in the middle of the show. And, And we all sort of sat around looking at each other saying, well, what do we do now? And I said, well, do you want to tell us if you're no longer the Minister of Education what you are the Minister of now? And he said, <laughs> he said, well, I probably shouldn't say, but it's a, it's a very natural thing. And none of us sort of tripped to the fact that he was basically scooping the Premier on the fact that he'd just been shuffled to the Ministry of Natural Resources. Oh. But that was pretty weird, I got to say. Wow. That was a pretty wow. weird moment. That- I, um, you know, I think I only remembered that because I was by that because fourth reading by that point, um, Steve was um, kind of part of Studio Two, and I was the Ottawa bureau chief for Studio Two. Oh yes, so I wasn't doing fourth reading anymore, but uh, but uh, yeah, as obviously as a viewer and you know as a producer overall, I would have heard that. But yeah, what a great, what a what a what an incredible moment. Really. We had some good times, Janice, and thanks for being a part of it. It was fun. Thank you, Steve. Well, I'm really delighted that I got to be a part of it. I'm really glad that, you know, the different paths that that we had taken in in our lives up to that point brought us together. Amen. That's Janice Neal, the first ever producer of the first ever Queen's Park show we did at TVO. It was called Fourth Reading. Good name, Janice. Well done. Thanks (laughs) for everything. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Each week, we've been asking you to share your TVO memories with us. Here's one from Donald Blair. My name is Donald Blair, and I was born and raised in Ontario's capital city. 
I'm almost 40 now, but a child growing up in the 1980s, especially in my community of Jane and Finch, meant watching an awful lot of TV Ontario. I grew up with programming that we all know today. Today's special, Polka Dot Door, Dear Aunt Agnes, Sharon Lewis and Bram's Elephant Show, and when I got too old for the kids' programming, I started watching shows like Studio 2, Fourth Reading, Alan Gregg and Conversation, and others. However, the one program that remained ingrained in my childhood was actually designed to help newcomers to Canada, where English was their second language. It was a five-minute short called Right On, W-R-I-T-E. The featurettes were of a small newspaper staff led by a cantankerous chief editor named Mr. Morton, a junior writer named Henry, and a senior writer named Miss Newton, who Henry had the haunts for. The show demonstrated basic concepts in English, and perhaps my favorite episode was one I watched again recently online. There's a dangerous UFO hurtling towards Earth, and the Space Center keeps sending highly complicated faxes to the UFO that not even the UFO could understand. The lesson was in simplifying sentences and using plain English that, quote, even a UFO can understand. The newspaper staff are forced into action, writing a simple message. Turn around before you destroy the planet Earth. And the UFO did just that. It was a funny story, but it also taught kids like me how to use the English language. It helped me get high 90s in high school English, and it taught me the joy of reading and learning too. Happy 50th birthday, TVO. What a lovely message. Thank you, Donald. What's your favorite TVO memory? If you'd like to be on the podcast, record yourself and email the audio to us using the address tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's TVO, A-T, and the numbers 50 at tvo.org. And we'll play these on future episodes. That's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. Editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch and Carol Elder. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. Next time on the podcast. The coordination of the producers, um, when the guests are going to be available, when the hosts are going to be available, uh, because of all these other obligations that they had, it was that constant juggling act. Um, and so it was, that was, honestly, I have to say, I, that was one of our biggest challenges, is how do we get the people that we want for the show at the times at which we can get them and that our hosts are available. So that was you know, kind of a, a struggle. But you know, you guys were always there, even if I was like sweating bullets all day, you guys were always there at 7.30 for <laughs> a script meeting and, uh, and then away we went. I'm Steve Pakin, bye bye. <laughs>